Today, we were so grateful to spend time with Camila Sakura Dalarup. It was especially interesting for us to talk to her about growth practices and to always remember that change isn't quick or easy, that it takes a tremendous amount of tenacity of the mind. And it started with gratitude. There was a sports psychologist that said, unless you can be grateful for where you are now, you're never going to get to the next level. It slapped me in the face because I was always about the next win, the next competition, the next, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, took a breath and was like, what if I just appreciate everything I have now? Working with energy and working with the mind and all of that is definitely how we made it in, in our career, for sure. It started inside. It did not start outside. Welcome to Weaving the Light podcast, where we discuss the tools, the people, and the spiritual. Hi, I'm Julie, creative by nature, founder and CEO of Arenda, Reiki master, and yogi with over 20 years in the health and fitness industry, and a mother to three children. I've spent the last 10 years deep diving into my spirituality and my spiritual journey. I've met with shamans, healers, mystics, and masters of their craft, and most importantly, looked within to uncover the mysteries and the habits of our own minds and actions. Hi, I'm Dina Kudis, and our light-filled universe fascinates me. I want to learn the ways that spirit guides every person I meet, every animal I encounter, and every place that I visit. I'm the mother of three beautiful minds. I'm an athlete who skis, hikes, and bikes mountains. I'm a Reiki practitioner, an artist, and am the founder of The Book Hut, a publishing house. Co-hosting Weaving the Light podcast to raise awareness of spiritual healing is deeply meaningful to me and I love doing it with my friend, Julie. Hi, this is Dina. And this is Julie. We are so grateful to be with you here today. From our living room to your ears, let's Let's do do this. this. Okay, today we have Camilla Dollarup, and we are so excited to have you here on our show. I'm really grateful I got the opportunity to work with you briefly, and we did a little online uh, Instagram Live, my very first. Um, I just love what you're doing. I love your energy and I'm really honored to have you here today on Weaving the Light. So thank Thank you. you. Anything Um, that has light in the sentence, I'm like, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) And two gorgeous humans help too. Exactly. Well, I, so I love this question. We start most of our podcasts with this is, um, what's your morning routine like? Whether it's like literally like I just brush my teeth and have my coffee or it's, there's a spiritual component to it. It could be just as messy or beautiful as you'd like. I have become very rigid or uh, disciplined, shall I say, about my morning routine because I hold space for a lot of other people um, mm-hmm. during the day. And so I realized that if I don't hold space for myself first, I feel very depleted at the end of the day. So mornings now are coffee, <laughs> uh, dog walks with the husband because we get to connect. We, we run our company together, but we get to connect just as husband and wife in the morning as we walk the dogs and spend time with them, which is awesome. Meditation together. And then I do my workout, shower, and I'm ready for the day. And I'm honestly, I am not available. My phone is on, but I am not available to the world until I've done that. It's 15 minutes workout and it's 10 to 15 minutes meditation. That is absolutely non-negotiable for me now. That's amazing. I love that. I kind of love that you um, spend time with your husband in the morning with your meditation and just like that connection. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. It's been a journey to get there. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you know, I want to dive I, into I, that. Yeah. I want to share that because I think that, you know, we mustn't just gloss over the things that just like, oh, well, that's amazing. That's easy. Because there was a time where I valued meditation way more than my husband did. And so at those times, I was the person wishing that he would join me. But mm-hmm. as we know, everybody has to come to things on their own. And so now when we sit down together and it is our daily ritual, I just look over and I'm like, Wow, I'm so excited we're doing this because it wasn't always like that, but I really value it. Do you think that maybe you invited him in because you modeled it for yourself and he saw your dedication and your peace and yep. was intrigued? Yes, I can tell you it didn't happen when I asked him or told him that it would be great. 
And like I tell everybody else, just walk the walk, the ripple effect goes beyond. And mm -hmm. so he saw me feel good and navigate through life. And um, he used the tool for different, you know, situations in his life and then realized that I might as well join her. <laughs> well, it's better on the other side, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. It's like when you shine your light, it's just people, everyone's like, well, I want to, I want some of that, you know? It's, yeah. It's so great. And especially just, you know, reading your history. I just, I love that for you. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's get into some sauce. Like where did you grow up? I know, I know this already, but for our listeners and, um, talk to us also about like, the spiritual culture in Denmark, like versus as you were growing up and yeah, just tell us about little Camilla. Yeah. It's interesting because growing up in Denmark, uh, especially in a small city like Olpo, which is like the fourth biggest city in Denmark, but we're a country of only four, 5 million people. So it's a small yeah. city. Small. Um, I kind of felt like I never belonged. I think mm -hmm. that became my spiritual search what is this life all about however one of the greatest thing I think about growing up in Denmark was the fact that we spend a lot of time outdoors so I truly believe that my connection to nature and and Dina and I we had a quick chat about that and and forests and trees and mm -hmm. and and stuff like that before we started but honestly I believe that that whole kind of outdoor living did do something to my soul in a positive way of starting my spiritual journey, because I still seek peace and spiritual connection in nature to this day. Yes, absolutely. I do too. Yeah. And when I was younger, I mean, I, we lived in like a rural little place in on, off of the Delaware river in Pennsylvania. And we would spend hours in the forest, like thinking we were archeologists, like literally pulling up like animal bones and like, you know, pulling apart sand, salamanders. And I mean, it is, it's like my place of peace. And I think Dina, yeah. you had something similar. It's, it's definitely my place of peace. And in any guided meditation, I immediately am in, uh, on a, a walkway in the forest mm -hmm. or floating mm -hmm. or I can smell it. And yeah. I think, um, it fills my soul in a way mm -hmm. that I can't really express. Mm -hmm. And also my, when you talk about starting your day with your animals, I have a lot of pets too, mm -hmm. and it's borderline eccentric, but for me, it's borderline therapy. Yeah. Like it, there, it's, it's, un, it's, it's, it is, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and when I see tufts of hair or I'm covered in hair, <laughs> that's not my own. I, I say, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> like, so, I, so, um, when, um, what sort of led you though, in, I mean, you had an incredibly impressive career as a dancer. Um, and so movement obviously is, you know, integral to your existence, um, and also competition. <laughs> you can't tell, you know, you were very successful. Um, but what sort of led you on a spiritual journey? Um, like what kind of began that sort of path for you? Um, it's so interesting because there's a couple of moments that stand out immediately. I definitely had, I had a curiosity and a search for something bigger, you know, mm -hmm. that connection uh, of the oneness. Didn't know what it was called or what that was at the time, but I was always seeking um, understanding the mind. So my way into that became sports as an athlete, as a professional dancer later on, but as a, as a competitive dancer, even in my, you know, youth, when I was 13 years old, I connected with a coach that was, uh, he was amazing. He was not so much about the dancing, but he was all about, I create champions because mm -hmm. I teach you how to use your mind in its fullest way to your fullest potential. That meant learning discipline in mind matters, you know, mind, mind and thoughts and so on. And he taught me to visualize that that expanded my brain and my mind in a whole different way. When he told me that I could sit down and rehearse my dancing before even getting to the studio and that my brain would not know the difference, whether I had actually just done it or just visualized it, visualized it. I was like, what? That's this insane. This is the biggest 
trick for me ever. And He's, I, yeah, I locked it in. That's amazing. I mean, it's kind of like he had the gift, a spiritual gift that he didn't even really probably associate with spiritualism. I don't know, maybe he did, but it's like he was sort of connecting with hypnotism and meditation and almost like soul travel, right? Yeah. Because like you can literally see yourself on a whole, like living in another like quantum place. <laughs> like it's Com crazy. Completely. That's and such a gift. And you know what, Julie, if he told me that that was meditation at 12 years old or 13, I would have been like, okay, stop it. Now I have no time for this. Right. But the fact that he was like the visualization, I could like, oh, I can dream. Like I can imagine. And then we became champions, by the way, uh, I became a, a Danish junior champion after working with him. So I was like, this stuff works. Yeah. <laughs> and he would wake us up at 6 a.m. This comes back to my morning routine. He would wake us up at this. We were staying in this kind of studio where there were all the different people training. He would wake us up at 6. We'd go running, right, straight out into the woods running. We'd get in, we'd train, we'd visualize. So I was on this, I guess, the, yeah, I worked with the mind at an early age. And then I got paired with a sports psychologist at 16 who again taught me my very first meditation mm -hmm. that has stuck with me forever that I have, by the way, recorded and done for many sports people since, which is so funny to me. But, but he, again, he didn't really call it meditation. He was like, I need you to use these tools. Just imagine this, do this. And I, I was just um, a dutifully followed because I loved anything to do with the mind. What can you give us like a glimpse of like what that sounds like that meditation that he taught you? I'm so curious. Yeah, we can like do it in a minute. I can like shorten it very quickly. Okay. Yeah. If, okay. So because this would help you. By the way, if you're having a, a day where you're like, I don't want to carry all this into the day because I gotta go and do this. This is what right you do right here, right now. <laughs> you close your eyes. You take a deep breath in. Okay. <sighs> Exhale. Then you imagine now that you're walking into a locker room maybe in a, in a gym or somewhere like that, and you open a locker and you throw everything you don't need right now for the, for the next few hours or for the rest of the day into this locker, knowing that it's there if you need to pick it up later. You close that locker, okay? And you just go through the shower, like almost like an energetic shower, you imagine this, just like white light as we talk about, raining through the body and you exit that, door to the locker room and you enter in now to whatever is for you for the day and you can go pick that stuff up later or you can totally leave it there and imagining it just emptying out in there and it's never there if you don't need it but it's there if you do and open your eyes oh my god I love it and on I you go with that. your day that's how <laughs> right we all yes. have that sometimes I just put um, a so, whole bunch of sh shit in that locker <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, Bye. thank you for that. I'm the mother of some pretty competitive athletes and I'm always talking to them about being able to be calm yeah. before performance. Mm -hmm. And I say, I say, well, you were very lucky to be guided in this way. And obviously sports have changed and, yeah. and we're much more aware of this now. And it is part yeah. of the practices for some yeah. of my children, but this is for life. For life. This is for every single situation that you might not feel complete or as mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned in a lot of your writing, like enough or whatever yeah. it is, you're able to internalize, mm -hmm. go to some, I call it like a pond of calm yeah. and be able to, to fill up. And mm -hmm. I love being in an energetic shower. I've yeah. Never right. <laughs> I'm in an energetic shower all the time. I do them all the time. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that. That's lovely. Yeah. That's absolutely thank lovely. You. So you were very young coming into this whole world. Mm -hmm. I think, and then what happened to me was that a lot of my friends around me, um, mm -hmm. being a highly sensitive person, an empath, people would always come to me with their problems. Mm -hmm. And I would always have time to listen and I would cut out, this is so random, but also not random, totally meant to be, I would cut out like motivational quotes mm -hmm. and give the gift to them or send to them. Or, you know, do a letter with those or whatever. So that I didn't want them to feel bad, you know. Your coaching started way long before. Of, yeah. Your coaching practice started. <laughs> when you, yeah, way before. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll tell you one quote that stuck with me forever, by the way, was we, I gave it, gave it to a friend that was feeling really sad at the time. I, I was thinking I was 16 years old and I'd seen it in a magazine and I kept it and I love this quote. And it is, you cannot stop the birds of sorrow fall, flying over your head but you can't stop them from building a nest. 
Yes. I love that you wrote that in your book and I, I loved it. I, I just, yeah, it's so true. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You, it's, we, we feel all the things. Yeah. Right. If so, you, you can't carry someone else's pain on, on your back. Like if someone yells at you for, mm-hmm. I don't know, driving and then it messes yeah. you and you think about like, what did I do all day? But it's like, well, that was them. That's I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No point. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, um, so I'm, I'm actually, you had a, you actually had a nice quote in the book that I read, which sort of alludes to this too, which is don't stew, don't carry yesterday into today, mm-hmm. even if someone was wrong or hurt you. Mm-hmm. We do so. have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's like luggage. We do have a choice. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't take work, but sometimes just to know that you know what? I don't have to carry this into tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can put the bag down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let it's it be. It's freeing. It's so freeing too. <laughs> so when you freeing. actually can connect with that, you're like, oh, well, that's, that's not mine at all. This is, this is great. <laughs> I can, untether, <laughs> I can untether from that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So when you, so you started your coaching practice at 16. <laughs> well, indirectly. Inadvertently, indirectly. And then talk to me a little bit about the transition from, I mean, because in your book that I read, it's not you, it's me. Um, you were very successful um, mm. as a competitor and then a judge mm. and then had some an obstacle, which then, but more like, more talk, you know, I'm curious about kind of that internal transition Mm -hmm. that you decided that you were like, you know what, I'm going to share my light. I'm, I'm going to give this gift. I'm going to help give quotes and healing and, Mm -hmm. and lean into this. Like talk to me a little bit about that because it's a huge deal for people to switch careers. Oh, huge. It's it's your entire identity. And especially if you've been doing it since you were younger. Yes. That is, I mean, people sometimes never get to change. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that for you. Yeah. It's, it was an interesting journey and being, becoming and being a professional dancer because I had started so young actually had completely became, become my identity. In fact, to the point that people would introduce me as that's Camilla, my friend, the dancer. Mm-hmm. And I had a moment where I remember hearing that and thinking, why are they introducing me like the dancer? Like, it's really weird. Yeah, I know I was on a top, you know, TV show, Dancing with the Stars in the UK. It was a very known show, right? Strictly Come Dancing, we call it over there. But it, it sort of started to irritate me a little bit because I just wanted to be, this is Camilla, my friend. Mm. And I was like, I, it didn't feel right anymore. What happened was that I had used all of these mind tools to become successful in my sport. And I had won a lot and I also had very tough times but it had it had become very successful and I had become very good at using these tools at winning however I realized that and this is what is quite scary and I know that anybody who has ever wanted to reinvent their career or or, or has done or want to will recognize this this also is true in relationships I woke up one day and I was no longer in love with the dream that had meant everything to me. I honestly was frightened and I couldn't care less about anything of the things that I had ever cared about. And I prayed for about three years that I would fall back in love because my life was so easy. I had finally gotten there. I was the expert. I was having a, making a great living, making great money. And I had worked so hard for this dream. And now I had it all. And I really was just empty and unhappy and not content. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And I tried to deny it for three years. Huh? So scary. It's a scary so place scary. to be in. You know, you, so you built, you've built the apple tree. It's finally growing fruit. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to knock the whole apple tree down. And am, am I going to get fed? <laughs> yeah. What happens when I knock it down? But what we don't realize is there's right. that time you knock down the apple tree, everything's lying dead, but really it's not dead. It's actually fertilizing so that something new and maybe even bigger can grow. We just totally. don't see that. Yeah, totally. So I started exploring the idea within that. What if these, these tools that I had used to be successful in dancing with and in career, like really reaching my goals, how come if I started using these and really healing myself 
working on the enoughness, the worthiness, the self-love. Oh my goodness. I needed to work on the self-love, the self-care. Oh, that was a whole different thing, right? Um, what if I started using them inwardly and, and went on this inward journey? And that was the beginning of what then me studying just so many different modalities of healing of NLP, hypnosis, mindfulness, what, I mean, you know, Reiki, just, I went on a whole different path, but the starting over was not easy. And I, I want to really stress that because some people think that, oh, well, she worked on a TV show. She had a career in TV. So it must've been easy for her to start over. No different for me than anyone else, because I was so known for one thing that in fact, I had to break that down and really prove that no, no, really I'm doing something else for many, many, many years. And one of the reasons why I ended up moving to America, no matter what I did in the coaching space, no matter who I worked with, what I did, people would still ask me, are you going back to the show? Are you going back to dancing? And it was like, it, I just, in the end, I thought, you know, it's cut. No, I'm not going back. Like I'm done. So I'm, hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, when you're, you know, you're, I don't know, maybe when you're known as something, it's like you receive validation from that and self-value. And if that's where you're getting self-value from others unknowingly, right, then to teach yourself self-love is like, I don't know, tell me how, did, like, I'm, I bet some of our listeners and I, like, people talk about just fall in love with yourself, love yourself. Like, mm -hmm. what did you do? Like, what was that specifically like for you? If you don't mind. I don't mind. I, I think it's very important because I realized that I, I had really lived my life outside in. I was in a sport that was, I was being judged, right? On, I'm like, even almost how my body looked. I mean, it was sort of bizarre. And I was such a prude as well, which was even more weird because I was like, I can't have this dress and I can't show this and I can't. So the whole thing was like really understanding what does it mean to, to like love inside out and not because of this validation, you know, um, I started from, from, from the bottom. I mean, I worked on myself. I worked with a life coach, which is why I became one. I worked with somebody who did hypnosis and really worked with my subconscious mind to, um, work on my limited beliefs around myself and, and the fact that. I thought that I needed someone else or something else to complete me. I, I really did because that was the narrative that I've been almost shown or bought into. So the concept that I could be complete and okay and whole just for me, no matter what job I'm doing was like a new concept. And, and it started with meditation and, 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 and all of that, the coaching and so forth. Yeah. I find it so helpful. Um, in your book, um, you talk a lot about NLP mm. and I wanted to sort of, cause it kind of being able to self-love and being able to break down these limiting beliefs mm. seems like utilizing the technique of NLP is integral to that yes. process. Um, one of the quotes that you had written in your book, um, about NLP is retraining the mind isn't quick or easy. You have to be tenacious when making change. Mm -hmm. And I love the word tenacious because um, it's like above all. Yeah. You have to put that effort in above everything else because yeah. internal, external tells you not to do that. <laughs> so you have to be tenacious. It's the yeah. perfect word when you know, because when you think about mindful activities, it's usually you don't attach tenacious to it, but it is. Yeah. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about NLP for our listeners who may not be familiar with that technique. Mm -hmm. And then I had some examples of limiting beliefs that we may use in our mind once mm -hmm. we do an inward search of things. I have yeah. some sa sample sentences that then I'll give you to then change. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. So you're on your toes. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things. The tenacity was because honestly, when I was healing my heart, and I talk about that in my first book, um, Dream, Believe, Succeed, I got impatient, right? I'm like, I'm doing all this work. <laughs> you know, I'm meditating. I'm talking to myself in a positive way. Why aren't things feeling different? I was doing that, right? And then I remember, I think it's Esther Hicks or Adrian, Abraham Hicks that says, you can't say that you're patient 
and that you trust and then go, where is it? <laughs> right. But I was doing that. So then I released that and started to trust fully and, and just kept doing the work, accepting that for a while, my broken heart was still repairing and healing. And I accepted the annoying fact that it would take however long it needed to take for me, right? Because everybody's different, right? It depends on so many things to do with that relationship. And that particular one for me, that learning was one of the biggest inside out learnings of my life that really helped me get on this path. Without that, I may not have been doing the path I've been doing in the same way. So I'm grateful for those lessons now. At the time, I was impatient. So tenacity became important to me. Um, I realized through using newer linguistic programming, talks about language as one of them, like the language, the words, the power of the words that we use, specifically whether we're talking about a thing, a narrative that we live by, or our talking to ourselves, our self-talk. Now, when you've had your heart broken, it's quite interesting uh, in a love sense um, what narratives come to the surface that you may have been around growing up like you can't trust men. <laughs> it could be one narrative, right? Um, men let you down. They hurt you. Um, uh, affairs happen. Like all kinds of things came to the surface for me to look at of narrative that I had simply bought into, which actually, when I started to look at them, I didn't even believe them because in fact, I've met some awesome men and I have had great relationships. And even the one that ended up breaking my heart is, was still a fantastic relationship. I have no, nothing bad to say once I've done the healing work on it, you know? So I found that neolinguistic programming started to look at the language that we use and how it affects how we attract later on because our confirmation bias in the brain, right? We'll always look for confirmation to confirm the deepest belief you have. So if I believe that men are all bad, my confirmation bias will go to work to look for that. If I believe that I meet the greatest man, they're faithful, they're loyal, they're awesome, my confirmation bias will go to work to look for that proof. That is what, for me, NLP really opened up the mind to these limitations that we actually have created from narratives we have bought into, heard, learned, whatever. So when you do the self-awareness and you go inside and you sit quietly with yourself for a mm -hmm. period of time through different modes and mm -hmm. techniques, you come up with these belief systems. Mm -hmm. And like one of them could be, I'm going to give you my phrases. One of them could be, I don't like my body. Mm -hmm. So how would you change that into a more attractive confirmation belief? We need to start challenging, first of all, where, what is that belief? Do you really not like anything about your body? You see how mm -hmm. I did that? I just mm -hmm. poked a hole in it. Mm -hmm. Any, like absolutely nothing. And sometimes the answer is no in that moment. Sometimes it's like, well, I quite like my eyes or mm -hmm. I quite like my butt or my boobs. Like there's sometimes people will say, so I said, so, so then I'm going, so hang on a minute. So you like some things about your body. So we're changing it a little bit, right? Oh, well, maybe one thing, or maybe two things. Okay. So it's not that you dislike your body altogether. You see how we're like, just kind of, right. we're loosening this like tight mm -hmm. belief. Then we can ask us, well, when was that? When did you decide that you didn't like anything about your body? So for me, I was like, so confused by what was my belief and what was actually the things I've heard. I had heard so much criticism from outside in for so many years. I didn't even know what I believed myself anymore. Like I hadn't had a second to go, how do I want to feel and look like when I look in the mirror, is it my words even? Mm -hmm. Right? Because it's like how I should be looking, how strong and all kind of words were flying around. A lot of them were not even mine. Right. Well, we I mean, get a lot of messages. There's so, so many messages mm -hmm. about it. Subliminal messages all the time mm -hmm. in TV and radio and conversation and mm -hmm. Instagram, social media. I mean, so many subliminal messages thought, so like through the day. And like we have, I think it's the reticular activating system, right? That's that filter yeah. in the brain that yeah. basically extracts what you were talking about, what you yeah. 
really are programmed to lean into versus not. And we could be hearing all of it, but we're only going to see all the subliminal bad, you know, that we have programmed ourselves to believe. It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So read the the belief one more time. Say it one more time. Let's reframe it. Your client, number one, comes in and says, I don't like my body. I don't like my body. So we, we, we got our kind of frame and understand where that started. I don't like my body. Okay. So what would be a more helpful way to, to talk to the body? Mm. I like my body. Right. Now, if you were going to talk to a friend, not a lot of people would say to a friend, I don't like your body. Right. We just wouldn't do that. Like, come on. That's mean, right? You would say, you got a gorgeous body. Look at, look at those shoulders. Like, look at your boobs. Look at your eyes. Look at your hair. Look at that body. It's so cute. Like, that's how we would talk to friends. So then you remind them, what if for fun, you just start to talk to yourself how you speak to a friend? Because here's the thing, what we must remember is that the subconscious mind doesn't mind which one of those two you choose. It literally doesn't, right? However, it will accept either of those two sentences as a fact, as the truth, whichever you feed it. So if you feed it over and over again, I don't like my body, I don't like my body, I don't like my body, considering your subconscious mind runs your life 95% of the time, and it's always listening, it will just read that back to you. You don't like your body. Mm-hmm. If you start to say, there are things, if you're not ready to say, I like my body, you can start with, there are things about my body I do like. There's things about my body I like. You are loosening the grip on that sentence. You're getting ready to change it to one day say, I like my body. It's a gift that I have this functioning body. My body shows up for me every day. Now, these words seep into the subconscious and it starts to bring them back. So next time you're in some outfit where in the past you would have gone, I don't like my body. Suddenly your body goes, kind of looking cute in that outfit. You know what I mean? It's that suddenly this, the subconscious is starting to, ooh, like I heard that. What? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how powerful it is. It will read back to you whatever. That's why somebody like Louise Hay who was like big about affirmations would always say, just start saying it, even if you don't believe it, because with time, mm-hmm. they be- it's a direct order to the subconscious mind. This podcast is sponsored by Orenda. Setting intentions and mantra is a scientifically backed method that can retrain the brain to create new neural pathways and transform the way we look at ourselves and the world around us. Orenda is not just a yoga and apparel company. It is a tool Along with using intention setting, Arenda works with the natural energy from our auras. Did you know that each aura has a specific energy and meaning associated with it? I literally will plan my outfit based on the mood that I am in and the aura I want to call in. The Arenda Empower hoodies are the first of their kind. There are literally six unique aura-inspired, super soft, delicious colors with individualized empowerment-based mantras that serve as an inspirational reminders. And when I'm getting my daily sweat on, I absolutely choose and love my Arenda yoga towel the same way. There's nothing better than to sweat out and release tension and replace it with life-changing inspirational mantra. Arenda is part of the 1% for the planet team. This means we do our best to put the environment first in everything we do. Arenda knows you're here to do unique and amazing things, and it is their passion to be that tool that helps you do them. For our Weaving the Light listeners, use promo code WEAVE at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. My other, my other question was more relationship. Like what if a client says my partner doesn't listen or my partner never listens? Mm. Okay. So first of all, when there's a sentence of never, we have to challenge it because never, we can't, we can't, there's no give or hope in never. So we have to be very careful if we are wanting things to change, to get rid of never, right? Because if I said, 
it's always or never. Like those are like locked in. Like he, she is always like that. What really always? Well, if we are going to know always, we have to live to the end of the life to know if it's always. Otherwise, we don't know this. So you, So it's not a fact yet. So be careful with that. Never is like saying ne something will never, they'll never change. He, she will never change. That will never change, right? Never listen. So there's two things in that. It's um, when it's about someone listening is it, it could be that they're not listening, but it could also be that someone is not communicating that they want to be heard. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a, there's a communication, like there's a talk that needs to happen here because there could be something old running in the subconscious that is that this person just in general feel never listened to. So now they're accepting maybe that somebody isn't listening. So they got to oh learn gosh. to. I feel like you guys are talking about me and early in my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> right? I would. I would say really, that to I my husband. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Big reveal. It's me. <laughs> what did you do then? Did you learn to, oh my to communicate better? Yeah. I mean, I would get caught by my therapist. Like he never does that. And I'm like, well, not most of the time. Okay, fine. <laughs> you know, and then I'd have to be like, all right, you're right. Most of the time, sometimes. And then I'm like, no. And I realize now, cause I, I definitely have this like space that I'm able to do it. I've done a lot of work and it's just like, I dug myself a hole too, right? Because by me saying never, then I wasn't looking for the ever it happens, right? Yeah. 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 It's great. It's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. Because then we've decided, I call it a, a, a lockdown thought, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no give here. Mm -hmm. So like whatever, like never, ever, like, well, no, sometimes. So then that's it. That's, that's where we need to kind of, open up this like create new new ways and we and if we if i start to believe that people do listen to me and uh, then i'm giving someone an opportunity to show up like that too but if i've already decided they're not listening ever never <laughs> then right. remember the confirmation bias will just go yeah well there you go just dismissed again there we go <laughs> right You'll never, you'll never show up to be there where they actually do listen and then validate that. And, and then that makes them feel better. And then they, you know, connect more if they're capable. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I am so curious. So you work with hypnotherapy too, which I've done a lot of work on that and inner child, but can you talk to us about it and how NLP and hypnotherapy, it seems like they're very intertwined. They're very intertwined because we do need to do conscious work before going into the subconscious. In my humble opinion, I feel I see the best results when someone can tell me consciously um, sort of what the situation is, what the pattern is they want to change, and maybe even know some of the triggers that are happening around this specific thing. The beauty about going into the subconscious mind is that it's a way that we step out of our own way. The subconscious mind, it's kind of magical. It always knows exactly where to go to do the healing for someone. And when I'm doing hypno hypnosis with, with, with clients, it's, I can feel the shift. Sometimes I can feel the sadness move or the anger or the frustration. And, and after when we'll have a quick chat, they'll say, oh my goodness, did you feel that heaviness was just like lifting mm -hmm. off my chest? And I'll be like, I felt it. And it's, it's just, it's undeniable what I, what I see in here. And, and the, obviously people who've done like past life regression, like um, Brian Weiss or, or Dolores Cannon, they talk about this in a past life hypnosis kind of way, but same, same, really. The subconscious mind is just extremely powerful. I think in, in my opinion, it's because we, it is like in meditation where we connect to this, whether you want to call it the one mind, the oneness, the, the higher self, where we can sort of, download on a different level it's just it's quite frankly quite magical that's all i can say it's it's amazing and 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 when you align in the subconscious because the subconscious mind runs your life 95 percent of the time which people don't often realize we are playing out things in a new way it's like we kind of align the path from there and then starts things starts to happen in your day-to-day -day life because of that Absolutely. I think you, cause you start to open doors that you didn't even know were locked. It's, 
yeah, it's incredible. It's a really, it's a gift for me in my stage and what I'm working with now. It's like, oh, I, you know, I didn't remember that as a child, but now I remember it in a deeper level. Like I understand that so much more and it, and then I can let it go. It's like when we can put a name to it, then we have permission to let it go. Yes. It's definitely magical. Yeah. And you met, you mentioned inner child and I think inner child journeys are just so powerful. And there was a, I can't think there was a book I was listening to the other day about energy and, and it sort of made me laugh because I hadn't heard someone said it in this way, but I've discussed this with clients many times. You know, we're sat around board meetings and in meetings around the world at work, right? And we think we're sat around a table with a 25-year-old, a 38, a 50, a 60-year-old, like whatever, right? But really, sometimes we're sat around a table. That's our actual age. But what is happening in the moment is that we're four people being triggered. So we're acting like five and seven and 13 and 19. And I just love that thought of it because we will say things like, oh, my goodness, did you see such and such? They were like acting like a child today. But they probably were because if they were unaware of something running in the subconscious, when they felt put on the spot or they felt ignored or not listened to, guess what happens? We play those patterns from that age unless we've done the inner child or any kind of you know subconscious work right. fascinating yeah, over and over and you can and now like <laughs> on the, being on the other side and I know this now I'm like oh my god I like watch interactions I'm like oh my god this is <laughs> this is like two five-year-olds arguing especially yeah. like yeah it's so it's too funny yeah <laughs> too funny too funny yeah um <laughs> So you are an empath. And so when you do your work and you have this empathic connection, the more that you've, you know, the more you do work, the more you learn, the more you grow. Do you feel like your not just empathic skills are awakening, but your intuition? And so when you work with clients, do you feel like kind of source, God, whoever speaks to you, spirit is sort of channeling certain messages? Yes. A hundred percent. It's interesting because that kind of trust has developed through the years. I remember when I was first studying hypnotherapy and we get, you get given all these actual scripts to follow in the beginning. And I remember already then thinking, oh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to like use different words sometimes because it might be that the client needs something else. And then with time, I just fully trusted that I create the script from whatever the client says. Then these interesting things happened for me that really led me to deep trust as well. I was teaching in, a, I still am, but I work with a studio called Unplug Meditation in Santa Monica. And um, I wasn't going to bring crystals. You can see I have crystals all around, this, all around my office, but I wasn't going to bring crystals into my work at the time because I was kind of nervous. I was kind of a serious kind of mindset coach, life coach and, and hypnotherapy. So I thought mm, crystal for some may be like woo-woo, right? So I'm like, no. Anyway, as I'm working at this studio, the universe had a different plan. And it just kept happening that I would have to keep sobbing for these gorgeous humans that needed help. And in the end, the owner was like, you're doing the crystal course and you're teaching the class. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm surrendering here. Now, what started to happen was so interesting. So I would have this Tuesday night class and every week, you know, I would prepare something and it would be a specific crystal and blah, blah, blah. I would walk through the door. And something would happen like, you're going to work with this crystal tonight. This is what is needed in class. And I'll be like, but I've just prepared all of this. What do you mean? Like, I'm done talking to, I don't know, the oneness, the universe. I don't know. Sounds crazy. I know, but this is the truth. So I would pick the the other crystal and I would start to just follow that. And with time, I would not prepare in this way. I would just trust that I I knew my crystals and I, I would be guided. Every single time people would be like, oh my goodness, that's what I needed to hear today. I was really needed to work with the throat track or there would be somebody telling me they had an operation tomorrow. There'll be somebody. And so I was like, okay, that's, that is what you're talking about. That is the Mm -hmm. intuition that became so like undeniable that I just surrendered to it and I fully trusted. And these things happen just more and more and more as you work with, yes, the subconscious, you just trust, you know, through time it's, you just know. I'm like, whoa, there's this sentence here right now. Or there's like, there's this, there's this feeling right now. What is that about? And then people will say, yeah, totally. This is what's happening. Yeah. I resonate with that so much. I've had so many experiences. I do like 
you know, little circles here and we'll bring a certain tarot deck or something. And it's like, it's exactly what that person needed to hear or the person needed to work with or yeah, crystals all the same. It's just, you just, you just trust because you can't make it up. There's too much of a connection there to like doubt it. Yeah. That's right. I also, I I like it as saying that you trust, but it's also just a knowing, um, you know, just a, an acknowledgement where you didn't know why you knew, you didn't know how you knew, but you just knew. And I'm sure you, you probably bring that to working with your clients that, you know, something is guiding you in a certain way with a certain meditation or a certain practice at this point in their development. And that's unique to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I, I always say it's not one size fits all because everybody really have their own path. And some people may need to work weekly, some quarterly, some yearly, like whatever. They're, everybody's at a different place. They need different things. So I will always work with whatever is needed for that client in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think I wanted to talk about um, the I am phrase and your I am uh, meditation, which you and I connected on. So <laughs> like ironically, and I think spiritually sent, <laughs> if you will. Um, what is like the phrase I am mean to you and what motivated you to write that meditation? And I don't know, just tell me a little bit, why is it so powerful? I think at the beginning of meditation, I struggle just to kind of sit or even just listening to guided meditations. So somebody suggested using the words I am. And having that continuous just sentence, I was fascinated by. And I was fascinated by how that person also told me that just notice how your brain wants to to finish that sentence. Your mind will want to finish it with different words. So honestly, when I first started meditation, this is how I wanted to finish it. I am so bored. (laughs) I could just not sit still. I was like, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I'm so bored. So then... Obviously, the person suggested, what about I'm so calm instead? Would that be more supportive? And I was like, sure, that would be more helpful. So I changed it to I am so calm, right? This is a very long time ago, but I still find it hilarious. And um, and so I, I just find those words so powerful because, again, they are really a direct order to the subconscious. So if I want to feel confident or I want to feel worthy or enough or energized, and I can choose a word, I am energized. But I am also means, I, you know, I mean, the words so harm in mantra are the same. And it sort of mean I am, I am part of it all, right? I am energy. I am, you know. Yeah. Sovereignty. Yeah. yeah. Everything. Yeah. Light. Yeah. It is a, I love, I love using it. I use it on our products at Arenda and I just, it's just for me, it, it's, it ends and it begins with the sovereign being the spirit, the energy, the light. And so I am really represents all of that. Yeah. yeah. And your towel got me into doing yoga. I'm sure of it because I have not yeah. done yoga for years. And then you send me the towel oh. and now I find myself up at the yoga studio. What? I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just so I can read all those great positive words. It, it, oh. It's pure joy. Even wearing the sweats- sweatshirt and it's like, I am light. Like it feels good. To remind Thank ourselves you. those things, you know, it does feel good. It's like I'm not. It, we're not teaching ourselves to empower. We already are in power. We're teaching ourselves what we've forgotten. You know, mm-hmm. just like let's say this shit all over again because it's good stuff. Like we need to hear mm-hmm. it. We are powerful. We are light. We are beautiful. We are grace. Like we're all of these things. We just forget. We forget. I think remembering is a big part about that. Dolores Cannon talk about that in her books about remembering. And um, I think that's the truth. I agree. I definitely agree. I I also have a question about maybe a portal or access point to the subconscious um, using words, what you're sort of describing right now. You had mentioned in your book, um, the art of journaling. Mm. And I'm pretty interested in that. I'm a writer Um, And I journal all the time. And my relationship with journaling is um, kind of a brain dump. I don't necessarily, 
I don't know. I don't, I, it's kind of just the way I work and the way I kind of get into flow. Um, it unclutters the mind. You know, people have morning pages practices um, where they just fill their journals in the morning and they never, they don't allow themselves to go back and read it, yeah. which I think is also really nice. Um, yeah. I do like to go back and visit my thoughts. Um, but I wanted you to speak a little bit about that because um, anyone can do it. It's not quite meditation. <laughs> A form of, and, right? Don't you think it is a form of, I call it an active meditation. I, I find it to be, um, if you were to classify it in sort of the categories of self-awareness, I also find it for me to be a little self-love. Yeah. Um, because I draw a lot mm -hmm. also in my journals. Yeah. Um, and I'm too busy during the day to draw sometimes, but I find I always draw in my journals. So for me, it's a... Um, self-expression and mm -hmm. just a way of connecting with how I think. Mm -hmm. But I was curious about its relationship for you um, and what your sort of practices are around it. Well, as you're speaking right now, this is what comes to mind because I find it quite interesting. My entire childhood, I would draw hearts and stars and everything. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> as you were speaking, I'm, I'm like, what you're doing there is self-expression. Any self-expression is beautiful, but there's also research behind actually writing with a pen or a pencil, right? To actually write with our hand rather than typing, that it does something, a release in the brain, and that it is a sort of form of, I guess, therapy, right? It's, it's therapeutic. And so I love a brain dump. I call it vomit on a page sometimes if it's a, you know, like an, a, a bit of a an messy angry one. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a messy one. And I think it's amazing. And I think each person um, follow whether they want to go back and read or just let it be again, totally up to, to themselves. I do love when I need to make sense of something, I would do both. I would write, like you're saying, just release without judgment, whatever comes out. And then I would, I would also meditate after mm -hmm. or before to kind of connect the two. But yeah, I think it's so powerful. I love it. And everybody can do it. It's just dump what's on on your brain on your mind that moment and um and sometimes we can come to some amazing conclusions through it too yeah right? i mean when you were you were writing in your book about how you were putting off that last chapter um talking about sort of the evolution of your relationship <laughs> or the i don't know devolvement is that a word i'm not sure but anyway yeah. <laughs> Was that cathartic for you? Did you feel kind of freer after writing it? So that first book um, where I talk about my breakdown of the first relationship, uh, which was a big relationship because we had our entire business together as well. And um, yeah, that was completely, that was therapy. And also my ex got to read the book before mm -hmm. it was published out of respect in case there was yeah. anything that, you know, I left a lot of things out, obviously, <laughs> because... right. I'm, I, we still had an amazing time together, but it was it was therapy. I think for both of us, we both moved on and had, um, you know, have great relationships today. So it means that nothing was wasted because we learned from. I can't speak for him, but I learned from my lessons for sure, and uh, my lessons in that too. Because it's never just one sided, right? There's two no. people in a relationship, so I got a chance to take responsibility for my stuff too. So yeah. huge nice. therapy in writing that and reading it back. Both of those mm. was therapy. Mm. Reading it back every time I had to read that book, like in the end, I was like, okay, I cannot read it one more time now. Yeah. Ten times later, you know, the You're tenth done. edit. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, okay, just please, we're, we're good. We're done. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you didn't think about that when you're like, okay, now I'm finally writing it. And little did you know, I had to read it like 12 times over. <laughs> yeah, I did not think about that. Nobody realized that. Remember when we start these great ideas, like, oh, I'll just write a book. We don't think about the edit we have to do at the end, like again and again. <laughs> well, I actually, my the first book I published is a comedy on how to deal with in-laws. And a lot of the book has interviews from my in-laws or about my in-laws, my own experiences. And same kind of thing. There's the creative process, 
<laughs> which has no judgment. Nope. <laughs> and then there's the rea- reality that I was like, I do love this man and these are going to be my interests. <laughs> and I should probably make sure this is okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and luckily they have a great sense of humor and they had challenges with their own in-laws. So they were very supportive, but to your point, like, and I had to, you know, read from that book for years I was like oh my god (laughs) and then as we move on to right that's the hardest thing we got to have grace for ourselves because when I go back now you know because it was such a time and a a place but there's a lot I wanted to share it in case anybody else could help you know could find the tools helpful and know that they can go through the struggle and be okay um but now my books are different and you probably find that too where we go on these different journeys through different books and it's it's just so interesting yeah, because we change as artists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Always mm-hmm. evolving. Well, I think in involvement, and I this is something that you wrote that I just, or maybe you didn't write it and you said it on a podcast. And I, I hope you remember this because it was such a good good thing. To, it was gratitude is like a U-turn for the brain. Yeah. And when you said that, I was like, oh, that's that's lovely. You want to do you want to talk about that a little bit? What mm-hmm. that means for you? Yeah. Because that is, I was referencing some of the research around gratitude and how it literally is one of the most powerful tools we have, yet sometimes we forget to use it, right? And so when we're really feeling like nothing is going our way, if we can actually get into a place of gratitude and stay at that frequency, things can very quickly turn around. And I remember reading a book, this was just before I got the the, the gig, I think, or we were just of strictly come dancing or we were just becoming like at the top of our game and it started with gratitude because there was a there was a sports psychologist that said unless you can be grateful for where you are now you're never gonna get to the next level Mm, and I was like in sport it was just such a it slapped me in the face because I was always about the next win the next competition the next you know Mm -hmm. and I just was like took a breath and was like what if I just appreciate everything I have now and once I can do that, I like made it my exercise. And I, I've always, by the way, been a grateful person, but this was like next level of acceptance and gratitude. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to start just being thankful for everything. And, and I'm, I'm, I mean, working with energy and working with the mind and all of that is definitely how we made it in, in our career for sure. It started inside. It did not start outside. Yes, the job followed, but it started with our attitude and the fact that we'd use mind tools. I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. When you're grateful for your every day for your life and actually acknowledging that, not just saying thank you and being polite and being kind, but really having that awareness and grounding it, it's a mm-hmm. big tool. And it's not just a tool to get to the next step. It's like, it's a tool. <laughs> Like it's a, yeah. it's a way yeah. of living. It's a way of being. It's really beautiful. I think gratitude makes the moments fuller coming back to loving mm-hmm. dogs and loving just being present in nature. And when we're grateful, just I'm grateful right now, just for being sat here, having these conversations, the fact that we can have conversations, I'm not rushing to be anywhere else. And I think somehow gratitude and being present kind mm-hmm. of went hand in hand for me. So my present moment became richer because of the gratitude, if that makes sense. I love that. Gratitude and presence. I mm-hmm. love that. I also think gratitude, um, when I'm in a, when I'm in a situation that's uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. it's easy to, for me, it's easy to be grateful when beautiful food is around me or I'm surrounded by loving friends or, you know, it's the most beautiful day in San Diego. I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful for all this. It's actually really hard for me sometimes to be grateful when things are difficult. Mm. Um, Somebody said something nasty or I'm watching something go down that I don't appreciate or um, I have a relationship that isn't the most nourishing and I'm trying to negotiate it. If in those moments, as hard as it is, (laughs) and hence the word tenacious, yeah, to be grateful, mm-hmm. I think what it does is it recenters me, what you're talking about back in the present, mm-hmm. but it also depersonalizes all the stimuli around me and it just brings it back to me. So I can't be like, it's that person's fault or this, it like basically just surrounds me almost like in this um, kind of energetic field Yeah. Um, where 
it is, you are grateful for all the things around you. And so you, you know, if you're arguing with someone, you can be like, you know, I'm grateful for my voice. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful mm -hmm. for the, the opportunity that I have to say this. Like mm -hmm. it kind of like reframes the whole exchange. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's really hard to practice gratitude. I agree. I think I'm lucky. I grew up with, I mean, two parents that taught me gratitude, but especially my dad would always say, you have your health. Mm -hmm. You're breathing. You can do anything. <laughs> you can build from there. Right. And he right. just would always say that. And it just bring the, always brought things back to such that, like you said, grounding moment, like true. Mm -hmm. I woke up today. <laughs> like, okay, let's start there. Whatever yeah, hard stuff you're going through, you woke up today. It's a gift. It is a gift. Yeah, actually, my my husband, um, my husband is an uh, ICU physician. He's a pulmonologist and ICU physician, and he actually, it's kind of, it's sometimes it's frustrating. But I'll be places with him. I'll be like, oh my gosh, we're gonna miss our plane. Whatever. <laughs> he's like, he's like, we're not getting a kidney transplant. There we go. <laughs> and I'm like, right. okay. Right. Um, we still might miss our plane. <laughs> like, yeah. My feelings are still real here. I'm nervous about yeah. that. <laughs> but, it. Uh, but he does, you know, for him, yeah. I watch it. I watch, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when you're in these sort of yeah. tragic careers, sometimes you see tragedy all the time. Yeah. That that practice of gratitude where you're like, you know what, I'm not having a blood transfusion right now. And I, you know, and I and you're and I do have my health and I do have my breath. And I did wake up this morning. And I did walk down the stairs and I am eating this food. Um, they're very simple. Simple. Um, and I can hear that. birds. Is that in your garden, Dina? Is that outside? I can hear birds? Yes. That's yes. for me. I'm like, I can hear birds. Yay. I have a grapefruit <laughs> tree outside. Like, come on. A hawk just flew by. I don't know if you saw a hawk just like flew by my window. Giant one too. Yeah. <laughs> We, um, we have a lot of, we have a big garden outside our house here. And so we have a lot of bird song and I have a kitten who's just beside herself. <laughs> like, she's like, I can't believe I live in this house. Yeah. <laughs> this is like amazing. That's gratitude so, right there. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Yeah. Aww. It's very important. It's, it's, it's those moments when it's the hardest to get yourself into that frequency because gratitude has a frequency just like speaking kind words does right mm -hmm. i mean i think coming back to the self-talk just to to say that you know they um in my book i talk about that um experiment they did in uh, saudi arabia where they had two plants in a school oh, and the yeah, kids would cool. record negative words on one recorder and positive words to the other to show them how positive self-talk really can help you flourish in life and the the plant that was receiving all the negative self-talk would die and, you know, and the other one would flourish. And that's just like, ah, that's what we do. To that's ourselves. us. Yeah. We're water. We're just as much water, you know, and that water holds those words and creates that life. And we have to be really mindful about the words we use. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know that I am so grateful to have you here today. I really have enjoyed our conversation and just feel honored to have you and to know you. Um, yeah. And you really bring your light. You weave your light into this world and, and what you do. So well, to both of you, it takes one too. to know one, remember. So <laughs> I'm grateful <laughs> to be here and all the same. I'm saying just all the same back to you. And I'm grateful that we can have these conversations because when I was a child, I was craving, you know, spirituality and these deep conversations. Today, we were so grateful to spend time with Camila Sakura Dalarup. It was especially interesting for us to talk to her about growth practices and to always remember that change isn't quick or easy, that it takes a tremendous amount of tenacity of the mind. All parts of our lives are part of our expansion and growth. Camila is such a love-centered and caring soul, and we thank her for weaving her light This podcast is sponsored by Orenda. Setting intentions and mantra is a scientifically backed method that can retrain the brain to create new neural pathways and transform the way we look at ourselves and the world around us. Orenda is not just a yoga and apparel company. It is a tool. Along with using intention setting, Orenda works with the natural energy from our auras. Did you know that each aura has a specific energy and meaning associated with it? 
I literally will plan my outfit based on the mood that I am in and the aura I want to call in. The Arenda Empower hoodies are the first of their kind. There are literally six unique aura-inspired, super soft, delicious colors with individualized empowerment-based mantras that serve as an inspirational reminders. And when I'm getting my daily sweat on, I absolutely choose and love my Arenda yoga towel the same way. There's nothing better than to sweat out and release tension and replace it with life-changing inspirational mantra. Arenda is part of the 1% for the planet team. This means we do our best to put the environment first in everything we do. Arenda knows you are here to do unique and amazing things, and it is their passion to be that tool that helps you do them. For our Weaving the Light listeners, use promo code WEAVE at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase.